luckily the clients are good sports. They're getting some really nice closing gifts as a way to say kind of thank you and congrats. But I have found that sometimes you have files that literally I've said they're like falling downstairs and you climb up to the top and fall down them again. And then three years later, the client calls you up and like, hey, how's it going, Scott? I'm like, how are you calling me after the mess? But, you know, (laughs) they will forget sometimes anyway. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Welcome to the ILMB Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast. Every Friday, we talk to a rookie who's making waves in the mortgage industry to see how they're succeeding in today's crazy competitive market. And today on the show, I have Jeff Mudrick. This is a update show. I love having some of the, you know, inspirational rookies back on. You're going to notice over the next few episodes that we have some people on that we've had on the past. Check in, see how they're doing. And so Jeff was on episode 11 back on October 15th, so 166 days ago. And man, he is on fire. So since the beginning of January, Jeff has funded just over 10 million in mortgages and has another 7.5 million to fund in April. So we're talking four months, he'll have 17 and a half million funded. And keep in mind, not that long ago, last year, he was working full-time, not in mortgages, not in real estate, and has completely, obviously, transformed his business and his life. He's one of the brokers who went through our Rookie to Rockstar program, part of our brokerage, and he talks about how using that has helped him set up this amazing business he has. A couple of great things that I like about my conversation with Jeff first is we get into the weeds a little bit. I ask him about how like one of the challenges he has now is clients, you know, not wanting to get him documents. So we role play a little bit. I pretend I'm a difficult client. What do you say? And then even some of the technologies that he uses in order to make document collection easier, I pretend to be the client and get him to use his scripting. And this is valuable stuff. So if you're listening to this, his works and you know, he's a newer agent and he's using it very successfully in his business. So I think you're going to really enjoy that. Check this out. It's a fantastic conversation. Before we jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection program. Very simple to use for borrowers and brokers. It's got some amazing features built in like smart docs. So as you're filling it out, as Jeff's going to talk about today, it's letting you know what you need for documents. It's also connects the lender spotlight. So you can search guidelines and rates. So you can figure out where to put that file. And finally, when you go to hit submit and you've chosen a lender, it's actually letting you know, hey, don't forget these guidelines the lenders have to make sure you don't waste your time and the lender's time. And it pulls over submission notes. I mean, it's very, very slick. And Jeff uses it every day in his mortgage business. Just one of the tools that he uses. Check out Finmo.ca. And today on the Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Ben McCabe from Bloom about using a reverse mortgage for a purchase. And in my conversation with Ben recently, they have literally been growing exponentially every single month. So if you haven't checked them out, check out Bloom Finance. They are a new entrant in the reverse mortgage market. Check them out and check out this episode. Hey, Jeff, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me again, Scott. So, hey, I'd love to do an update show with you. We chatted a while ago, and I know your business is going crazy, which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes here. But so how long have you been in the mortgage business? Let's do a quick recap. Anybody wants to listen to the previous episode we did, they can go do that. But how long have you been in the mortgage business up to this point? So I got my official license end of April 2021. And then I was kind of part time until I joined the brokerage in August. And then I, you know, decided, wow, I need to jump into this full time. So I became full time the middle of September of 2021. Right. So you joined the brokerage in August, started going through the training, realized, okay, this is going to be a full time commitment, left your day job. Did you have any uncertainty about leaving that day job? (laughs) I did. Definitely. Yeah. Well, my wife did too. But uh, yeah, it was scary. I had a few files 
that were scheduled to close at the end of September. So about a month after I left my job, each file I got the closing, I was like, okay, this takes me till the middle of October. Now this file, this takes me to the you know beginning of December. And then uh, I stopped doing that pretty quickly because deals started coming in. Okay. So give me an update then, because the way we kind of run this through, you know, the goal is to get your first 10 deals. How long did it take? Did you remember how many days that took? Yeah, big numbers nerd. So it took me 160 days to get my first 10 deals. And so when did that happen from August 1st? Well, to when? January 14th was my 10th deal funded with the brokerage. Yeah. And then since then, now I've just funded my 21st deal. Right. So another 10 in 60 it gets it speeds up right it's like it's exponential so the first 10 are the always the hardest but then now you've done 10 in 60 days you'll eventually be doing 10 in a month so what have you funded year to date so this is now march january February, march in the first three months of this year so i'm at 10.4 million funded in 2022 and then we were chatting earlier what does your april look like so april is going to be the busiest month i have and i have 7.7 in the pipeline um, and how many files is that? Just... In April, there are two, four, six, eight files or nine files in April. So that's almost, uh, ten, so there you go. You went from 160 yeah, days yeah. to 10 files to 30 days, nine files. Yeah. Uh, so crazy. So I'm, I'm going to back up a little bit and walk me through what were the kind of the key steps that were able to help you get there that quick? What kind of the things, if you think about like kind of key things that helped you be able to do this? The first was support, kind of knowing where to spend my time. I talked about this on the other podcast, but before I was full-time, before I joined the brokerage, I was trying to post frequently on social media, trying to get business that way and realized there's a lot easier way to get business and it's through uh, referral partners. So I spent you know, a lot of time building up my referral partner. So I work primarily with realtors and uh, you know, perfecting kind of my pitch to them as to why they should work with me, working on my value adds. And really just following up with them on a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly basis to make sure that uh, my name sticks in their head. Right. We'll talk about this, the follow-up piece that a lot of people miss in a second here. But so the way that we sort of outline this is, hey, we show you how to build a list of real estate agents, right? Which you did and use your network and all the different little strategies. Then you build a presentation to show how you're going to add value. How many presentations did you do and in what time period? So first question, how big was that initial list? And then how many presentations did you do in what time period? Well, I still have a list. I think I have 150 realtors I have not contacted, but the initial list was around 200 realtors. I called 50 realtors, presented to 40 of them over 30 days or 42 realtors in 30 days. Then I've kind of stopped. And right now, what I've actually been doing is when realtors reach out to me, they'll reach out to me to kind of connect to do business. And then I'll wow them with that presentation. So it's kind of a nice. Yeah, it's more like now. a magnet now. So it's a suck yeah. people in. So, and then how long did it take for you to start to see results from that? So like when you followed that formula, how long did that take? Yeah. So initially after my first kind of few presentations, I did, didn't really hear anything. Wasn't getting like initial leads off the bat, but again, because of, I attributed to the follow-up, it took about kind of three to four weeks for kind of each realtor who I presented to, to see that I'm one, I practice what I preach. So I am communicating with them, you know, weekly, if not every couple of weeks, or if not multiple times a week. So it took about a month, three weeks to a month for people to start sending me deals. And once they sent me one and kind of got to see the process that we implement, 
then they're converted and it's a nice and now uh, they become feeling. a client okay so yeah. from the 38 or 42 that you how many of them are actually now like would you say are consistent referral partners because just as a side you have no time to go out and find new like seven and a half million or whatever you still don't have an assistant which you're going to need but how many of the people that you presented to are actually actively referring you so i've had 13 realtors refer me deals and of those 13 Actively, I have six who are kind of like my superhero realtors who are, you know, successful in the industry. And um, yeah, anytime so literally six realtors are enough to basically change your whole, you know, life in terms of volume in business. And now it's just hold on and deliver a good customer experience. Yeah, and that's been the challenge now is just to make sure that those realtors sent me their first clients and they got that amazing customer experience. The goal is to make okay. sure that all the clients they send to me are going to have that exact same experience. That so what is, what is your biggest challenge right now then, do you think? What's the thing that's like keeping you, you know, up at night or stressing you out? Well, the first thing is time. I wish there was more time in the day. It is making sure that, as I kind of mentioned, just delivering that high quality experience to make not only the clients very, you know, satisfied with their service and want to refer their family and friends. But since day one, I've always thought my clients are my realtor partners. So they're the people who I want to service the highest quality that I can. So when they have a question, when they need something immediate, I'm there for them. And it's just making sure that I kind of keep those realtors happy and keep them feeling like I need to send my clients to Jeff. Mm -hmm. Other than that, you know, I had another coach, uh, Lori, reach out and said, hey, Jeff, like we were just having a conversation and she asked me the question, uh, what would you do today if you got 10 new leads? And my answer was, I would be in trouble. Like it's not a, it's scary. Yeah. And she's like, well, I think it's time to, as you kind of mentioned, I think it's time to get some help. So I think kind of going along the same lines that you mentioned, like the assistant part would be fantastic to probably do some of the fulfillment portions of the business. Right. Yeah. Give you a bit of your time back. What does your wife think about sort of this new career? Cause this was not something that, you know, you don't have a family who's in real estate. You didn't have any of some of those, you know, advantages, but what does she think of it? She, loves parts of it and other parts I'm working on. So you know, this orange office that I'm in, I'm in here a lot. So it would be nice to kind of structure my time a little bit better, which I honestly think has been a huge improvement over the past two months. For the first like six or five months, I was literally in here for 12 hours a day, seven days a week, nonstop. So she loves the fact that now over the past two months, I'm starting to do things I enjoy again. Scott, I went snowboarding the other day. I played hockey in the middle of the week. Last week, it was nice. I'm taking some time to myself. But obviously, the financial part is incredible. As I mentioned to you earlier, you know, we get paid like surgeons with not having to do the 15, 20 years, 15 years of school. Yeah. Right, right. I always say it like we with less training than hairstylists, no offense to hairstylists that are listening at the moment. But okay, so at the end of April, you're going to be at like 17 million. That's in four months. Where do you think you're going to end up this year? Any ideas? Oh, that's a great question. I'm not sure. So it's part of the brokerage training you asked us initially when we joined to kind of create a goal of what we want to do for the year, long-term goals, short-term goals, and how we're going to achieve them. So my initial goal was to do 10 million in my first year. So obviously I need to adjust that. The number where I want to adjust it to, I'm not sure. So I'll be at 17 million in four months. Is that going to be sustainable over the year? Maybe with some help. And well, yeah, maybe with for some sure. Help, we need to, that's for that. sure that priority is getting you even a part-time assistant and yeah. so that you can get some of your time back and do some yeah. of the things like hockey and family stuff. Uh -huh. 
you know. That's the plan. So I, I'm not sure kind of at the end of February, I was hoping to do around 35 million uh, in 2022. But again, because April's going to be quite busy, I'm going to be halfway there in the first four months. So right. We'll see. I guess we'll check in with you and see how that goes. So in terms of like looking back now, if you could go back and give yourself some advice, what kind of advice would you give yourself? Like if you're brand new and you're time travel, what would you tell yourself? I would say one, find a brokerage or mentor that supports you and not only in the underwriting part, but in the sales and getting business as well. But I'm pretty happy with the decisions I made to join the brokerage who offered me exactly that. The reason I joined the brokerage initially was to focus on the sales and the underwriting was kind of just a big bonus for me. So I would say find a brokerage that you work with. If I'm talking to myself six months ago, which again, doesn't seem like that long ago, it would be to time block more effectively to, you know, not answer my phone every time it rings because I'm afraid I'm going to lose business. (laughs) Let calls go to voicemail because, you know, when clients are calling you and it's a referral from a realtor, you know, from my experience so far, they're not just jumping to the next person on the list. You are that referral for a reason. And typically the client will say, hey, I was referred to you by X realtor. And they said this about you. So, yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of things that I want to touch on as well. So we were talking about the importance of doing more hard work on the front end so that it makes it easier. So what have you learned about that? So, yeah, because, um, yeah. yeah, talk to me about that experience. Sure. So in 2022, out of the 20, or I don't know. I don't know how many files. Anyways, I've had uh, two big files that I kind of did some underwriting on back in December. They purchased in January and the closing was one in February, one in March. And it was chaos. And it was because I learned the lesson the hard way to collect every single piece of document up front, make it hard on the client up front. And I kind of have a script to say, hey, we're doing all this work on the front end to ensure that we know exactly to the penny what you can afford. And so I'm not going to ask you for documents down the road because we're doing it all right now. And here's why it's beneficial to you. So, you know, asking for documents up front is something, again, I learned the hard way. We got the deals done, but it was not worth the stress that the sleepless How much nights- time do you think you put into those files, like compared to, you know, because you didn't do the extra oh kind of front end stuff? Well, I would say hours actively working on the file was probably at least five times what files that I work on now is, but the times thinking about the files are. And then the anxiety, the emotional load of like thinking about the stress, is this going to get sorted? Is it not dealing with challenging conversations? And yeah, for sure. And it's just like managing client expectations as well. So when, you know, for those files, when I had to go back eight times to say, Hey, I actually need this. I actually need that. I need this. I need that. It's a lot for a client to hear, especially one of them was a first time home buyer. And it just, it doesn't make the experience you know, referable, which is really my goal throughout all of this. Luckily the clients are good sports. They're getting some really nice closing gifts as a way to say kind of thank you and congrats. But I have found that sometimes you have files that literally I've said they're like falling downstairs and you climb up to the top and fall down them again. And then three years later, the client calls you up and is like, hey, how's it going, Scott? I'm like, how are you calling me after the mess? But, you know, (laughs) they will forget sometimes anyway. Uh, Well, you know what? Like even throughout, my goal is to maintain that client relationship. So, yeah, yeah, as much of a kind of a crapshoot as, you know, the one that's closing today actually was we laugh about it. So like the client, she texted me and she's like, Hey, like, who do you think is more stressed on this file? You or me? I was like, yeah, that's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good thing <laughs> going on. Yeah. Okay. So let's say I'm a client and I'm talking to you. I get referred and you're like, Hey Scott, I need this stuff. And I go, can't you just give me my numbers without it? What would you say to me? So I'll pretend I'm the 
sure. you know, the, the client who kind of wants to not. Yeah, Scott, I can fully understand why you want the numbers without having to send me all this kind of personal confidential information. From experience, it's kind of like if you go to a mechanic and say, hey, what's wrong with my car, but you don't let them open up the hood. So really, in order for me to give you that accurate number down to the penny, I'm going to need to see X, Y, and Z. And here's a way I can make it simpler for you. So I have access to certain technologies, like I'll kind of throw like a snap NOA in there. Say, hey, I can pull this all for you. So you don't have to dive into it. We use bank statement program as well, if clients really struggling. So, you know, I have access to a ton of technology that I'm able to do all the work on my end. So here's what I need from you. And here's why I need it. And I'll kind of just continue to go in there. Right. And then okay. I'll say so yeah, you just It's always about presenting things in the benefit for them. Like if you tell me the benefits for me, as the customer is what you're doing right there, then, okay, I get it. And the few people that don't want to comply, you're probably dodging a nightmare anyway, right? Yeah, that's what I've done too. So sometimes clients, I'll send them a link to an application. They'll fill out literally their name and birthday and they'll send it back and say, hey, I completed the application. So, you know, with these clients, I have a different approach to take. But again, it's my time I find right now is very valuable and I don't want to, uh, you know, spend it in the wrong areas. I don't want to focus my attention in the wrong areas. Okay. I'm going to come back to the technology bit there in a sec. So if you had touched on follow-up. So get the presentation. How much do you think the follow-ups that you've put in place with the people that you've presented to have made a difference in your business? That is my business is literally my business is in follow up, you know, many, 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 the majority of the leads I got is because I followed up and I know that to be the case. So for example, I think of it like this, you can have the Mona Lisa of first dates with the realtor or whoever your referral partner is, they can love you off the hop, just like a date can. But if you're not following up, if you're not texting them after the date to say you had a great time. They're going to forget about you and another person, another mortgage broker or another mortgage agent is going to come on board and wow them as well. So that's kind of the, my mindset has been. So I'm very consistent with my follow-up. As I mentioned earlier, my clients are my realtors. So if I'm not following up with them on a, at least a weekly basis, then, then something's up. Yeah. So too many people, they think they're being a nuisance, but I actually think you're showing how you say I have good communication, but then you don't communicate. It's like, Prove to me, show me that yeah. you have good communication by how you communicate with me. So from one of these presentations in September, what's the longest times it took before somebody turned into a referral? Great question. So I did a presentation in, it was like end of September with the realtor who I really wanted to work with. I really like her and her daughter. They're a realtor team. Continue to send weekly emails, continue to call every three weeks, whether it's a voicemail or not. I leave a message kind of saying a joke to say something like, hey, realtor, you know, it's been a little while since we connected. I'm going to keep calling. So you let me know when you want me to stop or uh, I'll kind of say something like that. Yeah, but you Anyways. keep it light and fun so that they go, this guy's not going anywhere. Yeah. Like he's literally like, keep going. So, And then I got a call from a client literally yesterday to say, hey, I was referred to you by that realtor. And it was amazing to me because there was zero expectation. The realtor did not let me know. And so it was September to March, however long that is. So um, I just did, if it was September 30th, it was 181 days. Yeah, yeah. So 181 days that wow. you continue to follow up weekly and then boom, just out of curiosity, what's the size of that file? What would the... Uh, uh, they're approved at 1.2 for $1.2 million mortgage. So let's call it a million dollar mortgage, yeah. right? And sure, they're approved for a mortgage of 1.2. So Right, yeah. a mortgage of 1.2. So then 181 days, just do the math on what that's worth. <laughs> and even on the time, all the times that you reached out, did they answer the phone? How often did it go to voicemail? Like... I've probably spoken to this one realtor three times in six months, and then the rest are voicemails and the weekly follow-up, right. weekly email. 
weekly so, email video. Yeah, and so 181 days, three conversations, voicemails. Side did this once. He calculated the value of the voicemails, and like he was like, "Yours is probably actually going to be higher if you figure out the math." Let's see. Let's like, see when the client buys, and I'll jump back to you. I'll yeah, and then we could be like, "How much was the?" So it could be like $200 a voicemail or $250. You think about that. If you knew that the voicemails were 200, people would be like, "I'll leave voicemails all day." Kaching kaching, you know. But we don't think that way, right? We think. You know, oh, I'm going to bother them. And it's like, no, no, it's all bad thinking. Okay. Yeah, and the uh, best part for me that I like the biggest benefit I see is, hey, I just want to work with one client because I know once the realtor sees my process and how I loop them in and the different budgeting spreadsheet and templating that we do and the level of communication that I provide in my mind, I'm confident to know that this realtor is going to want to continue to send business my way. Right. You're just like, give me a chance. Give me like, give me put me in, like Tom Brady, put yeah, me on the field. And I am not getting off. Like, yeah. Right. That's your psychology. Okay. So I probably should have asked this earlier, but what are you using to try and make the client experience less friction? There's going to be some, I mean, Hey, people are getting $1.2 million. They're going to ask a few questions. What are some of the technologies that you use to help? Make um, it? A lot, a lot of snap and away, um, yeah. just to easily pull their tax information. Snap and away has been huge. I use Finmo. So there's a program in Finmo that we can pull bank statements. So if clients are kind of hesitant or are sending me how often do you use that? Or have you used it like a few times or uh, bank it? statements? Yeah. Yeah. I've used it a few times now and it's been uh, amazing because I get what I want on the first try. Right. Right. And because as you know, down payments, like that stuff could be just oh. such a gong oh. show. Right. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, but aren't clients like, Hey, you're going to get my bank account. Like how do you communicate to them that you're, so if I'm a client and I'm like, Hey Jeff, like, I don't really know. What do you mean? I keep sending you the wrong stuff or Pretend I'm the client. What would you say? Give you a concrete example. So I had a client for down payment docs send me a screenshot of their nothing on their phone. And they're like, hey, here's, you can see like using this chart where my money is right now. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? I said, hey, that's awesome. Thanks so much for sending. What the lender typically wants to see or what the lender always wants to see is your name and account number along with 90 day history. I'll show you what I mean. And I'll pull up a little like dummy example. And I'll say, hey, if you click this link or I'll call them, I'll send you a link. If you click on that, it'll allow me access to pull everything I need. I only pull what I actually need, and I'll show you on that as well. Sometimes we'll do it over Zoom with them so they see exactly what I'm doing, and I'm not diving in anything extra. Right, you're not like, ooh, you know, I've got your bank account info. Like, so, okay, that's good. And people listening, there are technologies to help, but you do have to communicate that to a client in a way that they understand. Because there is going to be some, so, okay, you use Snap for taxes, you use bank statements. Anything yeah. else that you found that would be helpful? Well, I do a lot of checklists, so like document checklists, all through G Suite, videos to walk them through all this templating. Those are kind of the big technology pieces that... And then uh, you use Zoom as well, right? Like you'll jump on Zoom. Oh, Zoom is... I live on Zoom. Right. You live on Zoom. Okay. That's fantastic. All right, man. Like, it's been awesome to check in with you. You're absolutely <laughs> crushing it. Let's chat offline about helping you find some help so that you can get some of your bandwidth back. Any last things or anything I should have asked you? No, I think uh, it's been such an adventure. And again, like seven months ago or whatever, when I started with the brokerage, I would have never expected to be at, you know, $17 million in total mortgage volume in, in seven months. And, you know, it's obviously been very, very life-changing and just unbelievable to know that there is a structure that can actually work. There are people out there, you say this all the time, if I don't know how to get business, someone knows how to get business. And it's just right. finding the people who can find those answers for you. You can talk to you about it. So, you know, the brokerage has been nothing but literally life-changing for me. So I attribute that a lot to- Well, hey, to and you did, at the end of the day, brother, hey, uh, thank you, but you did the work. We do have major coaches and process, but 
you still have to do the work. You still got to do the follow-up. You still got to deal with rejection. You got people going, hey, you know, and the realtor you reached out to for seven months, a lot of people would bail on that. So like, that's on you. That's you continuing. There's a reason you got that $1.2 million deal. So yeah, you're right. I always say there's no problem in your business. Someone else hasn't already solved. And my coach, Dan Sullivan, says, when you have a problem, ask who, not how, which is he took my whole idea and condensed it down to like, this is why he's much smarter than me. But it's like somebody's already figured this out, man. Like, don't struggle through something that someone else has already solved, but then be willing to do the work at the end of the day. Like Jeff has be willing to be like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to follow the process. And, you know, I'm sure you've had up and down days where you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm stressed out. Like, oh, yeah, stress. Uh, yeah, the industry, as much as uh, you can make a lot of money, it's, you know, it comes at a cost. It can be stressful. So now it's just about kind of managing my client journey, managing my process to dial it in to make it a little bit less stressful every day. Right. That's awesome. Well, hey, thanks for chatting, Jeff. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. Hey, thanks again for listening to that conversation with Jeff. And hopefully you feel as inspired as I did talking to him. His energy level is amazing. It's pretty cool that in such a short period of time, his biggest challenge now is hiring help and you know managing his process and his leads. And what he did is absolutely doable. I would say the thing that inspires me about Jeff is he actually just does the work. Like, you know, you can give the best workout plan to somebody, but if they don't do the workout, you buy, I always say you buy a treadmill, you hang your clothes on it. It's not going to do you any good. Jeff's the kind of guy who actually does the work and he is benefiting from those results. And so if you're listening to this and you're new, I would encourage you to go check out rookie2rockstar.ca. We will take you through exactly what we took Jeff through. And if you have his motivation and drive, we will probably be talking on this podcast at some point. You know, six months from now, we'll be like you and I going, hey, tell me what you did. So check that out, rookie2rockstar.ca. And check out this upcoming segment that I have with Ben from Bloom about using reverse mortgage for a purchase. Keep in mind that they'll actually do the work for you on a referral and they pay you 200 basis points. Get that 200 basis points. It's crazy. Check this out. Hey, Ben, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott, good to be back. Hey, so today let's talk about reverse mortgage for a purchase. But sometimes people just they assume that reverse mortgages are just sort of refis and stay in place and things. But you guys have been helping more and more clients using reverse mortgage to purchase. So why don't we chat about that? Yeah, for sure. So we actually just did a deal like this a couple of weeks ago. So we could use that as an example to talk about it. I mean, most people realize reverse mortgages can be used for equity takeout, can be used for refi, but it can actually be a purchase tool for seniors. So, you know, in this case, we had, you know, a couple who was living in London, Ontario. They had just recently retired and their house was worth about 700K. And they had some existing debt on it. They had some remaining on their existing mortgage. They had a line of credit on the house as well. So they're looking at about 250K of debt left on the property. So once they sold it, they were looking at about 450K of net proceeds. And they had their eye to move up into the Collingwood area, which is like this really nice cottage, you know, country area near the ski hills near Georgian Bay, a couple hours north of Toronto. And, you know, property prices up there have risen significantly over the last couple of years. And so the place that they're looking at was about 800K. They were looking at about a shortfall of 350. Now, these guys, they were in their early 70s. They had about a million dollars of savings, but that was kind of all spoken for as part of their retirement plan. So they couldn't dip into that for that 350K shortfall. From an income standpoint, they were living off of CPP, OAS, and Mr. had some good pension income, but certainly not enough to support a 350K traditional mortgage. So that's why uh, their broker referred them to us. Right. And so then they were able to purchase this place, no monthly payment. So then yeah. all of their CPP, OAS, pension income is just straight cash flow for living on. Plus, they didn't have to tap into their investments or liquidate anything so then they could keep that long term. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense why, especially that no payment thing and cash flow is king, as they say, it allows you to be able to maintain your lifestyle. They could move up to cottage country 
and not have to worry about a mortgage payment. I remember my business partner, Jules, helped a client. He had a traditional mortgage and he had a fixed income. And after the monthly payment, he had very little money left over. And there's actually a video of we did an interview with him. And he was trying to sort this out. The bank said, we can't help him. She gets him a reverse mortgage. When it's all said and done, he comes in to see her and he's like, I actually bought a steak the other day. He literally is like, I have not been able to buy a steak forever because he's living so tight on the cash flow that he had because he's got to be very mindful of it. Now, all of a sudden, those payments are gone. And he's like, you changed my life. Yeah. And Look, I mean, if you're a senior living on, let's call it $2,500 a month, right? The difference between having, you know, call it $1,000 of mortgage payments in a month and having zero in a month is a massive difference, right? If you're living on a fixed income. So that's why, you know, reverse mortgage is a great solution, you know, whether or not it's for, you know, a refi or for equity takeout or for buying a new house. It's just, you know, for a lot of folks that are older and don't have that kind of cash flow coming in to support a traditional mortgage payment, reverse mortgage can be a really, really powerful solution. Yeah. And with inflation, I've noticed goods in general have gotten more expensive, like just everyday things. And when you're on a fixed income, your income is not going up as fast as inflation. And so, you know, somebody who's in the workforce, you know, wages are going to continue to go up. But somebody who's not in the workforce, their buying power is decreasing. And so I think one of the things I love about the reverse mortgage is the no payment and that it allows people to have they still maintain a lifestyle and not like have to, you know, live hand in mouth. But this guy literally was like, it was such a cool story. See how excited he was to see what a difference it made that he's like, I can't believe I could buy a steak dinner, like not even go out for dinner, just buy a steak from the grocery store that he could go at home and cook and be like, this was amazing. Like, cause he had to watch every nickel. And so it's awesome that you're able to help clients, not only on the refi equity takeover, but on purchases so that they could go live where they want to live on their terms and not affect investments, you know, and not have cash flow stress, right? That's fantastic. Any other sort of kind of final pointers or tips on people using reverse mortgages in this scenario? Yeah. So, I mean, fundamentally, reverse mortgages are just the most powerful tool out there for seniors to improve their quality of life, to improve their standard of living in retirement, right? And, you know, whether that is doing an equity takeout, whether that's doing a refi, whether that's removing, you know, their existing mortgage payment from the equation or, you know, using reverse mortgage to potentially, you know, improve their lifestyle by moving into a different area that they want to live in. Like, for example, cottage country in this case, lots of different use cases that people might not often think about, but reverse mortgages can be used, you know, for a purchase transaction as well. Right. Yeah. I think it's genius. So if you guys are listening to this, go check out Bloom Finance, bloomfin.ca. Ben and his team are amazing at explaining reverse mortgages. A couple of things. One, you can do the work, send them the file, they'll find it for you. Or they also have people on their team that once you hand off the client to them, they'll actually take care of it for you. And they pay you 200 basis points, which is crazy. They have fantastic rates. Check out bloomfin.ca. Ben, thanks again for coming to chat with me, brother. Thanks, Scott. Hey, thanks again for listening to today's show. Fantastic conversation I have with Jeff as well as Ben from Bloom. And if you guys are listening to this and you're like, hey, how do I get some help in my business? As I said, you can check out rookie2rockstar.ca if you're new. And if you're just looking for like information on how to run a better business, go check out I Love Mortgage Brokering. We have a power search tool you can set up. You can keyword search all of our past episodes. It's very powerful, totally free. So go check out ilovemortgagebrokering.com. And thanks again for listening to this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.